Welcome, Archetypal Tarot Podcast listeners. This is Sundara Quackenbush speaking, and I'm so excited to have two people in the Zoom room with me today recording. I have Julianne Juveau, who is, as many of you old listeners may recognize, as our original co-host of the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. Welcome back, Julianne. Aloha. Yep, she's coming in from Hawaii. And we also have a wonderful welcoming of a author, Perdita Finn. Welcome, Perdita. Thank you for having me on, Sundara. I'm really excited to be here. Great. And uh, Perdita is the author of The Way of the Rose that came out, I think, in the year 2020, right? 2018, actually. 2018, but I think maybe I, I got around to reading it during the pandemic and it was... That's what happened. <laughs> we were on we were on book tour and we it got cut short. We had to go home because of quarantine. And uh, the lady said to my husband, don't worry, I have a marketing plan in place. <laughs> oh, fabulous. Wow. <laughs> it was... And she did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so that that may trickle into our conversations today. But what we really are talking about today is your latest book that is coming out on September 12th, 2023, called Take Back the Magic, Conversations with the Unseen World. And I got, Julian and I were, were super lucky to get these advanced copies. But um, one thing I think that our listeners will be really excited about is when they get their copy, it's this beautiful, I've seen the the covers are just extraordinarily gorgeous. So I'm going to have to buy another book just to get that cover. <laughs> I'll have one sent to you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But as we know, books are more than their cover. We're talking about the heart of this book, which is beautifully written. Um, we just, it's so readable, so approachable, easy to go deep so quickly, uh, and has really transformed my perspectives on ancestors, the dead, uh, and our relationship that we can have with them on a daily basis. So I'm just excited to have this rich conversation with you. Welcome, Perdita. Oh, well, I'm very excited to be here. And thanks for that introduction. So what should we talk about with the dead? I'm always open to anything when it comes to them and with the ancestral yeah. realm. So I've noticed that you use the word the dead a lot Ooh. in the book. And I, there's ancestors as well. There's the term the dead. So just off the bat, what are we talking about here when we say the dead and and I, and using I that word? Two reasons why I say the dead. And in fact, it was in the original subtitle, which my editor got me to change just because she thought it might scare people. But part of the reason I do that is we've been taught to fear the dead. And that has been a conditioning of patriarchal civilization. And, and a desire to shut down and silence that what was once a ubiquitous conversation that everybody was having. It wasn't everybody experienced the conversation with the unseen world. And that conversation got silenced and the dead got made frightening. And it was this kind of propaganda campaign that living authorities, religious authorities primarily, instituted so that if we made people frightened of the dead, they wouldn't pay attention to what the living were doing. And I always say, I'm not frightened of the dead. I'm frightened of reasonable men in a boardroom on Wall Street. I'm frightened of what the living are doing and not the dead. But the other reason I use the word the dead is because it's inclusive. When I'm talking about the dead, I'm just talking about my biological ancestors in this particular life. I'm talking about every being, every soul who has ever been, whose soul has been woven together with my soul for lifetimes beyond measure. And how do I access what I call that whole fabric of existence of which I'm a part? So that's why I use the word the dead. Yeah. And, and you have succeeded in, uh, as I read this book, at first it was like, ooh, the dead. And then as I read it, I, I became more comfortable with what you were talking about. And it and it is everywhere in in all the the stories that you share around animals and just picking up um, a handful dirt. of soil, dirt, uh, <laughs> that it, it normalizes and, and, and makes you aware of its presence all around you and that it's well there's there are three things that have really been demonized in our culture and my husband and I we we write together and we sort of write books that are in conversation with each other and we say we write about the dark the dirt and the dead 
you know, the three things that have been demonized and they're really feminine attributes. They are the, the, the darkness and the mystery, the darkness of the womb, the darkness of the tomb, dirt, which is out of which everything grows has been made dirty, right? Bodies have been made dirty. You know, the great spiritual ideal of patriarchy is up out of the body into the mind, up out of the body into heaven, up away from earth. Let's go colonize Mars with Elon Musk. You know what I mean? It's up, up and away. And how do we get back into our bodies, back in with our feet in the dirt, back into our creative fertile wombs? And that's with the help of the dead. Wow. Absolutely. And uh, Julianne, you've been doing quite a bit of work with the, the ancestors and your beating. And um, what, are, what what questions do you have over there on, on that end of the spectrum with your work? Not specifically a question, but it definitely occurs to me that the, um, yeah, oh, the patriarchy, uh, the... <laughs> It doesn't even work for them. That's just yeah. So well, that, that's you know, the irony. Uh, the term ancestors and the ancestors work and living in a place that that has an inherent indigenous culture, a beautiful indigenous culture, and having you know some awareness as kind of a Western person walking around the world is that it's the idea of fearing the dead and ancestors are just a family tree is, is fairly European and Western and American in that kind of homogenous sort of white way. And that, that all of the indigenous cultures, including, you know, some from my ancestry, the Celts and things like that. And, and even the Russians, they've always talked to the ancestors. It was so, it is a, so a huge part of our cultural inheritance, but not in the the societal, you know, milieu that we're in now, the the very kind of mechanized and technological world, but we all, I would venture, come from an ancient culture that that did talk to ancestors, and that many of them, that many of the surviving indigenous cultures that are around, and I'm most familiar with here in Hawaii, huge part of your whole life is ancestors and the knowledge of them and all of the different rituals and things kind of around it so we're we are so bereft in this, I love uh, this story. modern world <laughs> i love the story that david abrams tells in his book the uh the spell of the sensuous in which he's you know he's a young man he's in indonesia right you know and he's a little sort of full of himself and his you know academic knowledge of different cultures and he's staying with the family and the mother puts up food for the ancestors every day on the back stoop. And then the ants come and eat it. And then she brings it in. And she says, see, the ancestors have eaten the food. And he says to her, you know, 22 years old or whatever, uh, you know, I need to tell you, it's the ants who are eating the food. And she looks at him and she says, oh, yes, the ants are my ancestors. <laughs> and that was that moment when he realized and what we all realize is that our ancestors are not just human. Our ancestors are not just animals, you know. Our ancestors are, you know, we have seal ancestors and mountain ancestors and fungal ancestors and moss ancestors. And we're all just trading places all the time, back and forth. I think, you know, I think a lot of um, anthropological work on indigenous cultures misses how fluid that movement is between lifetimes and between bodies. Um, I was reading a book recently about the Kung in South Africa and the anthropologist was talking about this man who's heartbroken that he's eating an elephant and he says, the elephant is my wife. And yet that realization that his dead wife has taken the form of an elephant to feed him is such a profound, intimate understanding of how we're always trading places with each other. And, it's just like the Jataka tales in Buddhism. The Buddha takes the form of animals to feed hungry people. But our ancestors knew we were all doing that for each other. Our grandmother died and was reborn as the salmon that fed our, her grandchildren. Mm, yeah, go ahead, Julian. Oh, I was just saying it's my, the talk of ancestors, the sort of reemergence in a, in a larger sense in our consciousness. Um, I've seen it. 15 years, but really building over the last decade of more and more people being aware of, of ancestors and actual DNA ancestors, you know, the, the advent of the DNA tests be 
be them, you know, accurate or not, uh, the interest. And there's a lot of um, stories about the importance of the ancestors, like them really, really coming to full four at the greatest times of need. And that goes through many different cultures um, that, that they are needed. And so they're knocking at the door and we're knocking at their door and that there is this larger and larger convergence of communication with listening to, and like you say in the, in the book, put them to work. Um, you well, know, they've done ask climate them. change before. They've yeah. done it. We've been, our, you know, life on this planet of which we've always been a part. The law of the conservation of matter and energy says nothing goes anywhere. We've always been here, okay? You know, sometimes we're this and sometimes we're that, but we've always been here. And our ancestors have done five mass extinctions before. 80, 90% of life had gone extinct on the planet. So they've done it. They've seen the wipeout and they've seen the return. And I frequently pray to them for guidance. So this is a very scary dance move we're about to do. And a really, really hard one. How do we navigate it with grace? What does that look like? What do, you know? How do we collaborate with this moment? How do we step into it with faith and without fear? Uh, you know, and and they offer guidance. But I also ask for help with my ancestors when my car breaks down and my kids don't call, when I can't get somebody on the phone when I'm calling them, and when I when I work with the dead in very mundane very ordinary, very prosaic day-to-day ways. It builds my confidence to work with them in these macro ways about the state of the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this idea that you flesh out in the book around giving the ancestors a task. or And 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 for me, it's, it's helping me in something we're all trying to do, I think, which is to, to let go of things we can't control, right? Oh. So there's so many things that come at us on a daily basis, you know, I, I can't, I I can't, you know, do anything about this. It's I'm stressing out about it. I'm worrying about it. You know what? I think she may or may not be able to do something about it, but I'm just going to offer this to aunt Nancy, you know, (laughs) maybe Aunt Nancy. I begin my morning, Sandera, (laughs) fretting. I fret. I fret about my children. I fret about my pets. I fret about my friends. I'm a, I'm a warrior. I feel responsible for everybody. But then I turn over each of those worries to someone on the other side. It's like the beginning of Downton Abbey when the housekeeper gives, you know, orders to all the maids and things. That's what I do from dead in the morning. And they show up. I'll give you an example. Two weeks ago, I was supposed to do a keynote address for my publisher about my book. And I was very sort of excited to be chosen for this. And, you know, got my little outfit picked out. And I woke up. And I am very allergic to poison ivy. And somehow I had gotten it on my face and my entire face had swelled shut like a little raspberry. And I couldn't even see. And I can't take um, steroids. I have a very bad reaction to them. So a quick solution was not in my grasp. And I felt pretty panicked. And my first thought was to ask my mother for help, but my mother was sort of believed in the power of med- medicine and chemicals. And I thought, eh, you know, she's telling me to take the prednisone and I'm not doing it. And then I remembered an ancestor of mine. I've, I've never really thought about. I remember her. I, I, I call on my ancestors in a lot of formal ways. And I talk about this in the book, but I didn't even know her name. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know her name, but she had 13 kids in the 1600s. And I thought, you know what? You got 13 kids. You've dealt with poison ivy. You've had one of them got into poison ivy and rolled in a couple times, you know. <laughs> What's her name? So I get on ancestry.com. This is how I do use ancestry.com to find out her name because part of summoning the dead is the name. The name is magic, right? Names are magic in fairy tales. And the amazing thing is her name is Dionysia the female version of Dionysus. Wow. Now that doesn't feel accidental. The interesting thing is my daughter has just published a very successful book about Dionysus too. Mm. And that, so that feels like, Ooh, that's wild. And then I'm reading about her and it says that she was sometimes called Denise, that that was her kind of nickname to Dionysia, but Dionysia is a weird name for a Puritan lady to have, right? Like, like it's a weird name. 
I thought, okay, Dionysia, off we go to CVS together. And I'm standing in the aisle at CVS, you know, like what pink lotion do I put on my face? And I can hardly see. And this woman comes up to me and she said, oh, that doesn't look fun. And I said, mm, not so much. And she said, have you ever put cold witch hazel on your face? And I said, no, I've never heard about that. She said, you buy some witch hazel, make it really cold, ice cold in the freezer, and then put cloths over your face and it'll bring down the swelling and it won't hurt your eyes. I said, okay, thanks. How do you know how to do that? She said, well, I'm a nurse. It's an old remedy. I said, oh, I never heard about it before. Thanks. I grabbed my witch hazel. I said, what's your name? She said, Denise. Denise. <laughs> <laughs> And so the reason I tell this story is how prosaic it is to work with the ancestors, but they, they remember everything. They remember the old remedies. They remember the old ways. And all we have to do is ask for their help and they'll figure out a way to get us the information we need. Mm. And yes, it worked. It worked beautifully. And I know you're careful in your book. You say, you know, the ancestors aren't slot machines, right? We, we we don't put in a wish and, you know, get what we want all the time, but th that there's these, the, the, the stories that you recount have a meaningful, um, well, they, they, they get you where you need to go, but you're, you're going to give a keynote, right? You're going to share your gifts with the larger world. So it, it both was well, a beautiful experience, a connection of the ancestors, and and was we good. We can also mock people who pray for a car, but it's privileged not have to pray pray for a car. Right. You know, you know, if you need to get to work to feed your kids, praying for a car counts. And because we live in a monetary economy where everything we can buy everything, we have forgotten that our ancestors didn't have any money at all and only had an economy of prayer. And when they lived with an economy of prayer, they knew how to use prayer for everything they needed. You know, and you know, once when the sort of really intense part of my journey with the dead began 12 years ago, my husband and I, two things happened. One, our daughter became very, very sick. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and we spent all our money going to the top specialists in the country. And we spent everything. We took out a second mortgage on our house. We got behind in our taxes. We spent our savings, we had nothing. And then we lost our primary freelance client and our daughter still wasn't better and we had no money. And that's when we learned about prayer. Mm. And that's when the medical system failed us and the financial system failed us, we had to begin to navigate in the dark with faith and the guidance of the dad. And they showed up and we learned a lot. And what I've learned is the dead see, can see in the dark. They can see the long story of our souls. They can see the long story of their souls. They can see the past, the future. They've got perspective, the dead. Even the crummy ones have perspective. You know what I mean? Like that's what it means to die. And that's what make you know, and what makes us crummy when we're alive is our absence of that perspective of the long story. Right. But because of that, Sometimes we pray for a remedy to our poison ivy and we get it like that, right? But sometimes we pray for healing and we get sicker, mm. right? And they take us on a journey because they say, you want, I always, as a friend of mine always says, oh, I get frightened when people pray for healing. <laughs> get ready, put on your seatbelt because <laughs> they're going to take it seriously. We're going to do this. They have all the time in the world to work with. and. So we pray, you know, we pray for things, but the dead take us into relationship with them and they're going to take us into the deep waters of our soul. Mm. Would you ever pray to an ancestor that really got something not right, but you think oh. because, because they got it so wrong while they were alive? Yeah, I do a lot of that. They want to make amends. <laughs> That's it. And failure is such a great teacher, right? Right, right. Like if you suck at something, you're really good at teaching it. <laughs> I used to train teachers at uh, Columbia University in New York. That was my other life in my 20s. And the first assignment I would give to these teachers is I would ask them, what is the thing you suck at? Like, you are so bad at it. Like, you can't do it. Go out and learn how to do it and then teach it to someone else. 
because the problem with so many of our teachers is right they're so good at things they don't understand what it's like to struggle mm-hmm. somebody who struggled to learn to read is really good at helping other people learn how to read or somebody who's struggled to be good at something often has a lot of empathy for people who are struggling and the same is true of the dead they're people who failed at life seemingly they're people who have really crashed and burned and because of that, they've gotten great wisdom from that experience. I'll give you a really specific example. My best friend's mom growing up was um, a beautiful woman, just funny and warm and delightful. And, you know, she was one of the few women who actually had a career back in the 60s. And, and she was a terrible alcoholic. Mm. One of the worst I've ever met. Like, I've never met someone who had a more incurable alcoholism and people would always say you know when when rita hits bottom then she'll get better but rita's bottom was really different than everybody else's bottom and she died at 52 of her Mm -hmm. esophagus burst from drinking so much Mm -hmm. a horrible death and a terribly tragic life right when i wanted to get sober from sugar I am a sugar, I'm an addict, you know, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> and it, it really was impacting my health. Like I want to live a long time. I want to be a grandma. I want to be dancing in my nineties and it wasn't going to happen unless I got rid of this addiction and was honest about it. And, it's, and I asked Rita for help. Mm. I said, Rita, you didn't get to be a grandmother. You didn't get to see your grandchildren. Your addiction destroyed you. Don't let it destroy me. And I pray to her every morning. I have a picture around my ancestor altar. I love her so much. I've been sober for over a year. Wow. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. And so, yeah, people who are awful at something, it's not just kind of a little bit bad, but people who have been really terrible, particularly people who need to make amends to us too, you know, who've hurt us. This is complicated territory to work in, but the dead can't hurt us anymore. They're dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, they've hurt us. Um, so we can work with them when we're ready to give them space to show us they get it. Right. And that is what your book so beautifully unfolds with these letters that you write to your father. And you have, yeah. one thing I love about your book is you are so honest with your worries, with mm. all the things that you've thought, felt, said, did, and and what others did in your family life. And you've written these letters to your father, which was, you know, I think it's fair to say was a very complicated and, and painful relationship in many ways. And, you know, you share that resentment, you share that anger, you share all of these details. And through the letters, we see this evolution. We, we see this, how you metabolize and work with him directly through these letters. So can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how, how might me, how might the audience uh, find a similar, I know it, everyone's different and nothing of the cookie cutter, but how can we have this sort of direct evolution with someone who has died so my father cut me out of his will and you know and he had plenty to leave and it wasn't so much a financial insult as it was just kind of the hatefulness of it he had divorced my mother he'd remarried somebody else but we weren't just cut out of the will like to cut it turns out it's really hard to cut your kids out of the will like you have to really make an effort to do it So when you read it, it's a really horrifying experience of hatefulness. Mm. And, and, and I had thought we had made some rapprochement towards the end of his life. He died in my arms, you know? And so I felt like, oh, like we got into a place of healing. And then I read this and it was just, Mm. it wasn't even like, you know, tell Perdita to take her favorite book from my library or one of my, he was an, he was a surgeon, but he painted or one of my paintings. It was really hateful and really and there and and he also left me a rock that's a long story I won't go into it's in the book but (laughs) (laughs) um but anyway a complicated guy right a really angry bitter my husband always says he believed in hell but not in heaven kind of guy 
I was really angry at him. I was really, really angry at him when he died. And all the anger that I had tried to put aside in order to have that rapprochement while he was alive was like a volcano coming up after he died, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just the rage and the fury um, at him was profound. And you have to feel it. You're allowed to be angry at the dead. The dead can take it. Right. It's not going to hurt them. And they can't talk back. So I really advise people, if you're really mad at someone on the other side, like, go for it. And that's kind of what I did in the letters. I just had to go for it. I had to be angry at him. And eventually, I began to ask him for help. And the the first time he really came through for me, Sandera, was with my daughter. So we'd gone to all these doctors, right? And she was still really sick. And all these, all the specialists could tell us is something's the matter with this kid, and we don't know what it is. That's terrifying. And the one good thing my father could do when he was alive, he was a doctor, he's a really smart guy. He always knew the smartest guy in the room. At, he wasn't there anymore. I couldn't call him up and say, who do I go to? Who's the diagnostician? Who's the guy who knows about this stuff? He wasn't there. And out of frustration a couple of times, I, you know, said, I wish you were here. I hate you, but I wish you were here. You know, <laughs> I'm so mad at you. And one day I was at the gym and I live in Woodstock, New York, and I burst into tears. I was just so upset about my daughter and my trainer who's a very sweet old woman um, said Perdita it's time for you to go to a psychic and I thought oh I hate Woodstock I just hate Woodstock <laughs> <laughs> I need a psychic I need a doctor <laughs> and but she convinced she wrote down the name of this woman she said she doesn't advertise she you should go to her. And I'm going to tell you a little something about my father. My father was an irascible guy. He was irritable, angry a lot of the time. He was an emergent. He would he would run the emergency room at this small rural hospital. And this was in the days before beepers or cell phones. He would answer our home telephone. I kid you not. Excuse your listeners. Jesus, age fucking Christ. What is it this time? That's a, it's a, a friendly. and it would be someone from the hospital or whatever he was so angry all the time anyway I think to my father I don't need a psychic I need a doctor and I throw this psychic number in my pocket and I go home and I walk in and my daughter is crying in bed and she looks at me she was 17 and this has been going on for a year and a half and she says mommy I can't be in my body anymore and it was terrifying. Like I, I, I looked at her and I knew she couldn't do this. She couldn't be in this much pain with it. She just, she said, I got to get out of this body. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I don't know how to make her feel better. We had nothing. The medicines they'd given us had made her sicker, much sicker. And I took the number of the psychic and I went to this little store in town uh, that sold size two shoes, which is the size she wears, and size four dresses, which is the size she wears only. And this tiny little woman came out with a shock of white and purple hair. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I know why your daughter's sick. And I, I hadn't said anything and I didn't know her. She said, come on in the back room, which I also know is strange because she doesn't like to, She's. Vi- I wrote a book about her called The Reluctant Psychic because she's very reluctant, very gifted oracle. Mm-hmm. And this woman had to teach herself to tell the living and the dead apart. She sometimes can't tell who's alive and who's dead. Um, anyway, she ushers me into this little room, sits me down. And the first thing she said is, oh, your father's here. Oh, excuse me. She says, oh, he says, Jesus, hey, fucking Christ, Perdita, what is it this time? I'm like, I just I did two things. I screamed and I burst into tears. <laughs> and she said, your father wants you to work with me. 
My father, the doctor, sent me to the psychic. She said, I've got what you need to fix the situation. And that was the dead and the help of the dead. Wow. Mm. And that began our journey. I would love so much for my mother to hear this story. She lost a sister and who was really more like her mom, you know, took care of her through a very difficult childhood. And she, she's believed in reincarnation for most of, you know, her entire adult life. Um, so she's, you know, very convinced that her sister has taken on another form, but she doesn't know what it is, but she's just misses her so much and I'm just so curious what you know I've tried to kind of explain the premise of your book and I'm going to give her a copy and I hope she reads it but what what can you say to someone who who is feeling this yearning to connect and you know might have beliefs that that are you know blocking them from being open to this well I always say with this work in my book details how to begin to do it. And I teach workshops with people. I mean, here's the thing. This is the simplest, the dead are real. They want to collaborate with you. That's everything I teach. Okay. There it is in a nutshell, go run, play. The problem is our culture has erased all these old ways of knowing. And so we need guidance and help and conversation to kind of trust that process. And that's what I try to help people do. In terms of your mother with her sister, one of the things about reincarnation, it's hard to wrap our minds around, is that time is not linear and nor is space. What the physicists tell us is time and space are folded over each other like origami. So you know how in a dream, a place will be two places at once? Mm -hmm. and or time will be two places at once or a person will be two people at once. I mean, that's what time and space are doing. And sometimes the way I like to think of reincarnation in a way that's not linear is through the Hawaiian archipelago. (laughs) So Julianne, that's what I would use. Let's think about Hawaii. They've got all these different islands, right? And they're all kind of part of the same team right? They're big islands, they're smaller islands. You know, there's Kauai and Maui and how big islands, right? And, and, but they're all coming from the same volcanic source. And they're all still in the process of becoming. Mm-hmm. And But each island has its own distinct flavor, right? Its own, mm-hmm. they share a lot in, ecologically, and also they have a distinct quality. Mm-hmm. I think our lifetimes are like that. And each lifetime is an island in this ocean of our soul. And so some islands, all these islands exist simultaneously. So your mother can be in relationship to the sister she knew. Does that mean she might need her future incarnation as well? Yes. Mm. But the sister she knew she can have a relationship with on the other side. And the way to experience her sister as really there for her as her sister by name what was her sister's name nancy (laughs) so nancy for nancy to really be there for your mom your mom give her a little job start small i always say like start by asking to get a human being on the phone you know start by a parking space you know start with you know let let my tooth not be infected right you know a woman who was taking one of my classes she just told me this week about she was going on a trip with her husband and her tooth started to hurt so she asked her uncle who had been a dentist to make sure she didn't have a cavity i don't know i guess that's what she was she's just you know let it be simple what's the matter with my tooth so she calls up the dentist it's a new dentist She goes into his office. He looks in her mouth. He said, oh, you got a poppy seed in there. Let me pull it out. That's the problem. (laughs) He pulls out the poppy seed. She's fine. No cavity. And he he says, you know, I can't help but notice your name. You didn't know Bob so-and-so, did you? She said, that was my uncle. This was the man she'd asked for help. He said, oh, he was my teacher at dental school. Right. This is what the dead will do. They will find a way to, they're dying. 
<laughs> the dead are dying for you to know they're alive. <laughs> That's a great quote for this podcast. I love that. <laughs> the dead are dying for you to know they're alive. And there you are because they love you so much. And I think one of the things that is my experience with the dead is how much they love us. Mm. That you're, you know, Nancy misses your mother as much as your mother misses her. Mm. Well, that's, that may really pull her heartstrings, I think, because they were so close. And um, I just can't wait to share this with her. This is so beautiful. Oh, <laughs> what happens? Maybe I'll call on Nancy to help, help convince her. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And I call on the dead for everything. Call on Nancy to help convince her and then keep going with it. Mm. Yeah. And the dead don't want it just a one-off, you know. My father got me to the psychic. And then he started getting me all kinds of stuff. And now the crazy thing is, he's done more for me financially than I would ever have gotten from any will of his. He's my go-to guy financially. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I have forgiven him. It, and not because I talked myself into some artificial forgiveness, but because I really feel how much he loves me. Mm, that's wonderful oh so glad um julian what's i haven't heard from you in a moment so what's oh i'm, en over there? I'm enjoying listening this is so um and i yeah i find myself uh just my the, my experience of reading your book i gobbled it up immediately it got, came out of the package and i'm in a fangirl but it's legit. It's, it's legitimate. Um, and I did, and I don't read books anymore. I mean, I listen to audiobooks. I've got so much going on. The audiobooks are my thing, but I found myself just carving out time. And I think beyond it being a wonderful, enjoyable, incredibly readable, relatable book, uh, was the, the revelations that you had in some ways where, we're like, oh, I really want to have that kind of revelation with like my father or something like that. But at the same time, it was just that uh, confirmation of, uh, of pieces coming together that you were able to elucidate through your story. And I immediately felt like Perdita's stories are here for us and we can all not just relate, but I kind of felt like my ancestors were talking through you and your stories and that it really was just, it was archetypal. It was uh, beyond just relatable. And uh, I have personally felt um, since before the book, maybe for 10, 11 years, so much of that crawling up into my own practice was related to ancestors. I didn't realize when I moved to Hawaii that um, this this was them getting me here I, to be here. I mean, there's a lot of reasons I didn't want to move here. Um, I don't like heat. Okay. I just don't like heat. <laughs> Guys, why'd you put me here? But um, this coming up with ways prior to your book uh, of, of working with them and working with uh, working with them in the way that like are the old practices of my family, things that I've learned from the Hawaiian culture. What, what comes to me really, really strongly as you're talking is this, um, it's a phrase that we are the living dream of our ancestors. And I, time to time, I've, I've been so gifted with learning some chants and things like that. And when I work for, with a small couple and we're doing a wedding and I can sense their ancestors, they're just like, Whoa, weddings, big time. Of and, course. In fact, you know what I would, uh, you know what I want to do when my kids get married and I would love to see people do what you should have is two different tables. And what your wedding are not just a couple, but your wedding, two sets of ancestors. So wouldn't it be marvelous if everybody brought photos of their ancestors to be guests at the wedding mm. and to surround this couple with blessings? A, a woman in my class, she just had her first grandchild. I said, your job is to summon the fairy godmothers around this <laughs> child, which is to summon the ancestors. I make oracle decks. Um, for my family members of ancestors. Mm, wow, was, what a gift. And also, and also I've made books of, of all the ancestors with photos and stories and pictures. They're with you. They're there for you. And they want to they love you and take care of you. And every ritual should include them. Certainly when we're dying, the dead are showing up. Right? Mm -hmm. But when we're being born, 
you know, babies cry because they have to say goodbye to their other mothers and fathers. <laughs> I mean, birth is a departure. Mm. Well, let's uh, let's circle back for a moment to this oracle idea. So you make personal decks for yourself with with yeah I actually teach a class in it and helping people what we do is we create an oracle deck of 49 ancestors for seven for each chakra and it's really fun and you know these are a couple of them I thought I'd show them to you because you guys are into oracle decks but you know what people will do is they will have a picture of their ancestor and then his name and then we create a book with a story about him and spells about him. And then they can share it with their family members. And it's really wow. powerful to do an Oracle deck with your own ancestors. Wow. Oh my, you are blowing my mind, woman. <laughs> You're blowing. My, why didn't we think of this, Sandera? Well, it's here now. Let's do it. We got to do it. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. It's really, really fun to do. It's a great present. I mean, once you get, once you get the ancestors, they, there's so many, you can give people the ancestors too. Like, it, you have time for another story? This was amazing. Yes, so yes. a friend of mine called me and out of the blue, she had gone in for a routine colonoscopy, you know, hadn't had one in 10 years, right? And it was a new doctor. She didn't know him. And on Friday afternoon at 4.30, he leaves a message on her answering machine that says, okay, so the test, your colonoscopy came back positive. So we're going to schedule you for the cancer surgery next week and I'll get it all taken care of. Okay. She's in a state of abject panic. She can't get him on the phone. She's leaving messages. She's got the whole weekend ahead of her. She didn't know she had cancer. She had no symptoms. She called me crying, distraught. What was she going to do? Well, I don't know what to do. So I say, we got to put a team together. Who's on the team? So we start assembling a team of the dead. You know, my dad, the doctor is there, you know, her grandmother who loved her comes in. I say, you know, my mom wants to be on this team. She beat cancer. She, she, she wants to be there with you. She's going to help you beat it. I can feel it. So I said, I'm going to send you my mom. (laughs) And I get off the phone and I feel inadequate as a friend. You know what I mean? Like, Okay, great. So I sent her a couple of dead people. What good is that? Like, you know, <laughs> that doesn't count. The next day, I'm doing a workshop. Okay. And a woman signs on early and she has read my book, The Way of the Rose. And I said, Oh, she's a big fan of it. And I said, Oh, it's wonderful. Where are you calling from? And she says, I'm Mattapoisett, Massachusetts. I shit that's where I grew up this tiny little town in Massachusetts I grew in the town next door and she said really get she said I didn't realize you grew up there I said I did and she said well I didn't grow up here I grew up a little further away we start to know all the same people we're blabbing I can't believe it how wonderful to meet someone where I grew up who's a fan of Way of the Rose and then I said what do you do for work she says I'm an oncology nurse and I say, oh, my mother had a wonderful oncologist when she was sick. He really got her, you know, everyone said she was going to die and her oncologist got her through it. And she said, it wasn't Dr. Hansen, was it? I said, it was Dr. Hansen. And she said, <laughs> I was his oncology nurse. What was your mom's name? I said, Pat Finn. And she said, I was your mom's oncology nurse. Wow. Oh my God. And I said, oh my God. I said, do you know a really good colon care doctor? in Boston. And she said, Oh yeah, absolutely. You want me to call him up this afternoon? And I said, yes. And so she gets on the phone and that afternoon, my friend is seeing the top doctor at Brigham and Young, women's young. Mm. So my mother got an actual doctor. I feel like I'm not doing anything, giving someone the dead, but you give people the dead and the dead make the miracles happen. Wow. It's fun. Oh, this is a great story. (laughs) And, you know, and that's what our ancestors did. They asked, they asked the dead for help to find food, to find, to know which plants to eat for healing, to know how to find warmth, how to find love, all of it. And, and these are coming through your book to everyone because, you know, I read your book a little bit differently than Julian, and I read it the same way that I read The Way of the Rose, which is that I actually took a long time. And and it, it's just so, it was so interesting. It would just call me back to it. 
And then almost every chapter, there would be some sort of synchronicity, you know, like you, you talk about that little phallic shaped um, monk. Literally the day that day I had bought one from the, from the yard sale across the road. Coincidentally, Um, but coincidentally, (laughs) you know, I say that all the dead are spiders. They're like weaving our souls together. They're weaving these synchronicities together. Yeah. There are no coincidences, right? There's just this web of love and holding. And it, it would just get to the point where I would be like, oh, yeah, of course, The Little Mermaid's in there. I just saw it today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would just be like again and, and again and again and again. It, it, was, it was almost just like oh, as if I was reading like my journal entry was woven in with the book. It was just uncanny. So I just I love when that happens. It just feels so I real, feel really connected to your writing that it's really tapped in and beautiful and um, woven in such a way where, you know, even though we haven't met prior to this day, you know, I, I just feel so synced up with your vision. Well, in this lifetime, in this lifetime, you know what I mean? And that's the thing, you know, we've all known each other before. We've all been here before. We've all loved each other so many different times in so many different ways. And if we can remember that and live inside of it and live inside those synchronicities and coincidences and feel we begin to live with faith, even in times that feel very chaotic. I mean, I feel right now like there's a choice between fear or faith. And how do we really feel that buoyancy of faith in these times? Oh, wonderful. Well, we're about to wrap up here, but I wanted to circle back to Julianne and because I know that you have There's been... a question right here. Oh, good. You say your question. And then before we get off this call, I have to ask, because this is new to me. You just dropped me a line about it yesterday, but you were making ancestral hoops. So I want to hear about those before. Oh, God. Yeah. And um, but please ask your question. OK. First. No, it's perfect that you asked me that That actually, because I know, Perdita, you're talking about asking, uh, having communication with the ancestors, giving them jobs. Um, I absolutely adore that. And I realized my whole life, I've kind of been doing that. Exactly. Um, Exactly. We do. And uh, I was basically, and, and, and we'd had a conversation last year with a woman who wrote a book about working with ancestors in the tarot and using the tarot and those oracles to communicate with them. Um, and I, I got a task from the ancestors and that's something I wanted to talk about too, is we're asking them, but they are asking us, or I feel very called sometimes that they're like, and I don't know who it is, um, in my family tree that is like, do this, do this. And one of that was, was I've been making, making rosaries for a number of years, feminist rosaries and make these hoops, make these, make chains, make this. And I'm like, so I I did it. And I just was like, this is, it felt very much not like it was coming from me. And I can, I can sense the inspiration sometimes. And I think part of it was to create these and to keep creating them. And then I was like, okay, I want to send these out into the world. And they're like, no, no. I'm like, but can I just post some in my Etsy or send them to my friends? And they were like, no, you're not ready to do that. I'm not good at that. I'm not a particularly patient person, but it was, it really, really felt somewhere in my matrilineal or my mother's side was like, make these. And they're just a simple hoop of beads connected with an infinity symbol. And they are so random, 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 but beautiful, all these things. So I made, I don't know, a dozen or two of them and I had to sit on it. I did a blessing ceremony and they sat on my altar. And then almost a year later, it was like, go time, lady, put them out there into the world, send them to people, you know, just move them out into the world. And with that, I had to write something to go with it. Other than like, here's the thing my ancestors told me to make. Um, I was coming up with before your book, how, what, how do I work with ancestors? I'm using them to pray. storytelling, feeling that I just, I don't know who I'm talking to, but here's a story. And each bead was a part of that story. So it was a very, very powerful, you know, like I got, I got the order and I had to do it. And it still feels a little bit mysterious to me (laughs) and that, that I don't always know, like the end of that story is not yet written, but the the fact story is the story old and long. Mm -hmm. And we've been collaborating with the ancestors for lifetimes. How long 
have, you know, how long was I writing? How many lifetimes was I writing Way of the Rose? Mm. You know, I don't know. I do think that the ancestors and the dead plant in each of our hearts seeds and they want to help those seeds to grow. And they're going to, you know, they're going to take us on a... Hey there, listeners. Uh, we just had a bit of a power outage through the Zoom, but we are back uh, just to wrap up and say goodbye on our podcast. Uh, Perdita, this has been such an amazing interview with you and you were you were as great of a storyteller um in person as as much as we are in person right now on zoom um as much as you are in your book uh in the written word so it's just been such a pleasure to speak with you and to to hear these stories live from your voice and and to see your face for most of this podcast anyway um julian were you i think you were maybe mid story or mid thought as well so i just want to give you a chance to wrap us up as well oh uh, i think the the conversation and the the idea of giving tasks and working with the ancestors and uh also they give us tasks as as well as those of us in our time and place who have a physical presence that it's this the book that you've written both books all of them are such a gift to the world and i think people are really um ready for and hungry for these stories and these ways to work with the dead and it's okay to say that we're dead um because nothing ever truly truly dies um we're just moving through different um phases and things like that so thank you for this i feel so honored to have been able to read it ahead of uh publication and i look forward to rereading it um again and and sharing it with my friends and family and the people that i work with so well done you thank you perdita great and we have two perditas now in the room and i think both are muted so if you want to unmute the the good one and um so your farewells, Perdita, we'd love to say goodbye. Sorry about that. With the, okay, let's shut that down. <laughs> I'm so confused. So there's just one of me now. Um, I guess that's true of what the dead are like. You know, we occupy a lot of different Zoom frames, right? Right. <laughs> uh, but yes, and I want to say there's an audio version of my book that will be coming out with it on September 12th. So for those who prefer to listen, I'm making that right now. And I do offer workshops on the dead that you can find out about at takebackthemagic.com. Take mm. And uh, I hope we can open this conversation. I think the more we talk to, I think the dead are dying to have it. And I think they really, <laughs> they really are. They really want to help us. And they really want to have fun with us. They're the best anti-anxiety medicine in the world. Oh, wow. Mm. That's so great. Fantastic, Perdita. Thank you so much.